0: Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.
1: It's the first week back at the State House and lawmakers are already pushing for big income tax cuts. Meanwhile, the COVID-19 Omicron variant is spreading rapidly across the state. I'm Logan Finney filling in for Melissa Davlin. Idaho Report starts now. Hello and welcome to Idaho Reports. This week, House Speaker Scott Bedke and Assistant Minority Leader Lauren Nekochea join me to discuss tax policy and the start of the 2022 legislative session. But first, on Thursday, the U.S. Supreme Court issued an opinion stopping the Biden administration's mandate of either COVID vaccinations or weekly testing for large employers. The court did, however, allow a vaccine mandate for nearly all health care providers in the country, which receive federal Medicare or Medicaid funding. That mandate does allow for medical and religious exemptions for those employees. Governor Brad Little and Attorney General Lawrence Wasden released a joint statement praising the decision to strike down the mandate for private businesses, adding, quote, We are disappointed the court narrowly upheld Biden's vaccine mandate on healthcare workers because it intensifies a problem confronting our country. We already have a short supply of healthcare workers available to handle the pandemic." On Tuesday, the Department of Health and Welfare told reporters that an Omicron-driven surge is stressing hospitals, partly because of so many healthcare workers calling in sick. Local public health districts are overwhelmed with tests, and as of Thursday, the state had a backlog of nearly 18,000 positive tests that hadn't yet been processed.
2: So at this incidence rate, Idaho would rank somewhere between 20th to 25th in the United States when compared with other states. That ranges because there might be some bias in our, in our laboratory data that's raw. Our most recent sequencing data indicate that 88 percent of infections are being caused by the Omicron variant of the virus. And we understand from the data available that infection with the Omicron variant of the virus appears to cause less severe disease than the variants that we have been faced with before. However, even if Omicron were, let's say, half as likely to cause severe disease, and I'm not saying that that's the truth, I'm just theoretically, If it is spreading twice as much as the Delta variant, we could very well be right back
0: where we were last fall with the same pressure on our healthcare system that sent us into crisis standards of care.
1: In those conversations, there have been active conversations about where we are relative to crisis standards of care, uh, where the hospitals are in terms of potentially heading heading into crisis standards of care. Uh, And so um, it would not surprise me to see us go back into crisis standards of care. Uh, If so, it's probably gonna be driven by staffing in addition to increase in, in hospital patients. The statewide test positivity rate broke an all-time record high last week at 25.7%. That varies by region, with 27% in North Idaho's Panhandle Health District, 26% in Central District Health, and 31% in Eastern Idaho Public Health District. Hospitalizations are also going up, though not as rapidly. We have much more about the testing backlog online, and you'll find that link at idahoptv.org idahoreports. Also online, you'll find our coverage of Friday's Idaho Supreme Court hearings on challenges to the state redistricting maps. On Monday, Governor Brad Little kicked off the legislative session with his State of the State Address, focusing on education, taxes, and infrastructure.
3: That's why I propose making the largest investment in Idaho education ever. My budget adds $1.1 billion over the next five years to improve Idaho education. And it all starts with literacy. Today, I propose adding 47 million dollars in ongoing funding to literacy programs to build on the reading success that parents instill at home. Local school districts across Idaho, with input from families, will decide how best to deploy the resources. Literacy has been my top priority because it just makes sense. Our investments in education later on will have more impact if we can work with families to get more students reading proficiently early on. Together, we have given back nearly $1 billion to Idahoans through income tax relief, property tax relief, and relief from unemployment taxes on Idaho businesses. And today, I am proposing we double down on our efforts. I propose we return more than $1 billion in income tax relief to Idaho taxpayers over the next five years. I propose $350 million in immediate rebates and $250 million in ongoing income tax relief, allowing working families to keep more of what they earned and free them from the penalty of living under historic inflation. The continued prosperity of our farmers, ranchers, the folks who work in the woods depends on safe, efficient system of roads and bridges. We cannot continue our record economic trajectory if our logging trucks can't get across old bridges if we can't get our farm products to market. My budget invests another 200 million in ongoing funding to fully address our known maintenance needs locally and statewide. I also propose We invest another $200 million in one-time funding to clear out one-third of the backlog of deficient bridges. We have a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to fully fund no needs, to maintain our roads and bridges permanently with no new taxes. Democratic leadership
1: in a press conference after the address agreed that they were happy to see Little's attention to education, but believe there's more the state could be doing.
4: Strong and and successful communities start with our children's schools. Empowering families with devices and broadband is a start, but school districts and teachers desperately need resources in the classroom too, to ensure facilities are safe and functional and children receive an excellent education no matter where they live.
0: Um, But first I wanna correct the notion of a budget surplus that the governor referenced. Um, This money, was generated by systematically underfunding vital services. Now, the governor suggested we look at the state budget much as we would look at a household budget. Now, if you haven't paid your mortgage or your utility bills, you may appear to have a lot of money in your checking account. Uh, But you would not call that a true surplus, or you certainly wouldn't call it a sign of responsible management. And that's exactly what's happening here. Idaho has a lot of money in the bank account right now, um, but it's in large part due to irresponsible decision-making by politicians uh, where children and working families have been left to pay the price. We remain last in per pupil education investment in America, as you've heard. Uh, We are still one of only four states in America with no early childhood education, and these are not without consequence. They've contributed to alarming deterioration in our education outcomes, uh, where we're seeing real drops in literacy and go on rates and performance scores and graduation rates. Um, Our lack of affordable childcare is creating a workforce crisis. We have a foster care system on the brink of collapse due to underfunding. Uh, We have, as the Senator mentioned, I think over 1,500 bridges in need of repair at an estimated cost of over $2 billion. We have a major housing crisis and a completely unfunded affordable housing trust fund, which unfortunately, from what I heard in the governor's speech, is to remain unfunded under his proposed budget.
1: Some conservative lawmakers held a press conference prior to the State of the State, outlining some of their session priorities.
0: Something that I have
4: probably received the most uh, letters and contacts lately is on the property taxes because uh, people just received their bills. I have a, a letter from uh, one, of, one of my constituents that represents
2: several uh, contacts that I've received. And she talks about how her property taxes are going up. She's 70 years old. She's on a fixed income. She, she was raised in this area of Jefferson County. And she she says, I'm painting a picture for you to ask that you begin working on some real property tax relief. Not just a band-aid for a year or two, the
0: system is broken. And people need to start thinking outside the box on how to fund entities without breaking the backs." of the residents. But I do want to talk about what just happened at the winter meeting for the state GOP. There was a resolution, number 13, that was passed uh, by the body. That said, that we would do a forensic audit in the state of Idaho, Uh, as serving as the liaison between the state GOP and the legislature. I'm anxious to get that bill uh, moving uh, and get it through both chambers and signed by the governor. Other issues with election integrity, this uh, session will definitely deal with government issued ID, uh, ballot harvesting. Uh, and many other different aspects of uh, election integrity that have been revealed over the past uh, few years. Uh, Two of my priorities are gonna be this session again is to work on
4: mandates uh, regarding uh, the shot or the vaccine. Uh, We have people that are still contacting us from all over the state that are losing their jobs, that are losing their incomes, that are losing uh, their um, hard work that they have put in, the hours and hours of time that they have given to these companies. Um, to be able to lose their jobs now um, over a mandate. So that'll be one thing that we'll be bringing back again. The other one is school choice. We are hearing from parents all over the state that want school choice. They want the opportunity to be able to have the options for their children's education We need to be funding students and not systems, and so school choice is also gonna be a priority. We wanna be able to see parents educate their kids the way that they feel is the best way, Um, because it's not a one-size-fits-all. No child should be put into a box and labeled that they have to learn a certain way or go to a certain school, and if their schools are not performing, then parents should have those options to be able to send them somewhere else.
1: I'm joined by House Speaker Scott Bedke and House Assistant Minority Leader Lauren Necochea. Thank you two for joining me today. Let's start with uh, the first big bill that's been introduced this session, which is House Bill 436, a income tax cut and income tax rebate. Uh, Speaker Bedke, can you walk me through this proposal from your party?
5: Uh, yes, this is a pretty simple bill. It's patterned after the bill that we did last year. What, it does two things. Number one, it lowers the top, but lowers all the income tax rates down to 6%, and the corresponding four something, three something, and one something. Uh, in Idaho, you are in the top bracket if you make a little over $11,000. And so we're all in the top bracket. And so this is immediate tax relief to all Idahoans. In addition to that, and the cost of that is approximately $250 million that will be back through the uh, income tax uh, process. In addition, there's approximately $350 million that will be returned directly to taxpayers. So uh, for for you and every dependent that you claim, you'll get $75 or 12% of the amount that you paid back in 2020, whichever is more. And that will be the uh, basis of the rebate. Similar to last year, last year was 11, or excuse me, it was 9% of what you paid the previous year. This year, we have more money and therefore we need to give more back to uh, Idaho's taxpayers. And so it's 12% of whatever you paid the previous year is just, as a direct rebate. And so I think, that that's, I think that tells us a couple of things. Number one, our state economy is doing very well. All of the economic activity that is happening out there has found its way through the tax code and back to the treasury. and And, and we have way more money than we have spent on the budgets. And so uh, we wanted to get this. Uh, there's little opposition on this, uh, and uh, we wanted to get it moving early in the session. Sometimes these tax bills become bills become, uh, you know, a point of contention at the end of the session. We and we don't want this. There's there's general agreement. Idaho's doing well. Let's return the money to the taxpayers from whence it cometh, and. Uh, and, and we'll go ahead that way. So I think this is a pretty uh, exciting day for, uh, you know, for the state. We have back-to-back, year-to-year uh, record. You know, last year was the biggest tax cut in state history. And this one, if we're successful getting it through the process into the governor's desk, will we'll beat last year's by some. Before we leave this subject, it... Uh, you know, everyone expected Idaho to be in a at least mild recession. You know, we had had this conversation two years ago ahead of the pandemic, we would have, uh, you know, predicted a mild recession and nothing like these types of revenues coming back into the state. I think it's an indicator of how hardworking Idahoans are. Uh, Yeah, they were thrown, you know, there's some adversity, but they worked through it and our economy is responding. Uh, and uh, it just makes Idaho one of those states you want to
1: move to. We've been seeing a lot of that. <laughs> and Representative Nekochea, I want to get your thoughts here. You sit on the tax committee, and you actually voted against introducing this bill when it was heard in committee. Uh, what was your rationale for that?
2: Um, Well, it's correct that this is basically a repeat of the bill from last year. So we're again using those dollars that we have sitting on the bottom line and sending them out uh, to profitable corporations and in ways where uh, you earn, the more you get. In um, last year's bill, uh, if you were a single person earning $25,000, you got an ongoing uh, tax cut of $42 a year. If you earned half a million dollars, you got $2,000 a year. And that's that's lopsided, um, especially when you look at what regular Idahoans are struggling with right now. Mortgages are getting a lot more expensive rent's getting a lot more expensive, and property taxes are getting a lot more expensive. So this proposal sweeps a lot of money off the table and closes doors to opportunities we want to have, like addressing property taxes or having a discussion that has been delayed for a long time around the sales tax on groceries. Um, We are at a point uh, today where we, we can look at that seriously without threatening vital services like Medicaid. And we can look at it in doing ways that you know don't hurt low-income people. At this point, our grocery tax credit has been static for years. And so now people are paying more in sales tax on groceries and they're receiving in that credit um, be- because grocery-, grocery prices go up over time and the tax credit has been frozen. So this is not the, um, the tax policy <clears throat> the Idahoans are asking us for. And that's why I couldn't vote to introduce us because it's going to close the door on other opportunities if we spend all the revenue in this way.
1: And we'll get to the... uh, uh,
5: Let's be clear on a couple of things right there. Number one, the state does not collect nor set the budgets for property taxes. And so the bill that we passed last year provided immediate property tax relief by raising the homeowner's exemption by 25%. And so this whole, and we have begged for two years for the local units of government to come with a proposal to help fix this because the ball is in their court, they make the decisions in this area. Let's talk about the grocery tax. The uh, the sales tax that you pay on food right now, you and your family, Logan, you get that money back in an income tax credit. (laughs) Let's also be clear that if we remove the sales tax off of food, it benefits two demographics. Number one, tourists, out-of-staters, and number two, people that don't pay taxes. And so this idea of using the tax code to redistribute the money is not, is not good Republican policy and we'll never support
1: that. And I was going to respond to what Representative Necacho said there about the, the income tax cut. I've, members of the Republican Party would say, well, the people who earn more money are paying more in income taxes, so it makes sense that they would make, that they would uh, receive more back from the cut. Um, Representative Necocheo, if that's the case, how would your party prefer to see the income tax structure changed?
2: Uh, Okay, a lot to say about that, because we're using online sales tax dollars to fund this income tax cut. So let's be clear about that. But when you look at our state and local taxes, sales tax and property tax and income tax, you see a few things about how those taxes are distributed. When it comes to sales tax and property tax, lower and moderate income people pay a larger share of their income to cover those taxes. Now, our income tax helps, it doesn't do it all the way, but it helps balance that that out by asking people at the top of the income spectrum to pay a little more, a little higher percentage of their, of their income than people at the bottom of the income spectrum. When we keep lowering and lowering the income tax, we just make that even more lopsided and we're asking lower and moderate income people to pay a larger share of their income in taxes. And that's not good, it's not popular <laughs> for Idahoans. No Idahoans are emailing me asking me for this income tax cut and corporate tax cut, but it's also not good economic policy. We need to put more dollars into the hands of middle-class people who fuel our local economies. They get their oil changed, they get their haircut, they buy their groceries in their communities. That powers small businesses and leads to a vibrant economy.
5: And every small business in the state of Idaho will receive this tax cut, they will receive this rebate. Eighty-five percent of all businesses in Idaho are small and uh, are pass-through entities they will receive this rebate just the same as the the you know the school teacher or the plumber or whomever this this is let's let's just look at it we have created a very positive business climate here in the state of Idaho and the proof is in the pudding our economy is doing well the foundations that that we've laid in the in the previous years are working and we need to look no farther than these surpluses for For Exhibit A, it's working. Let's not mess it up.
1: So,
2: I'll say one quick thing. You're right. The economy is great. So, why do we need to cut the corporate tax rate for profitable corporations? 80% of those dollars are going to flow right out of the state. They don't fuel our economy. And I just don't see how that helps us build a strong, thriving middle class.
5: If I'm not, if I'm one of those corporations and I'm not paying taxes in Idaho, I'm hiring Idahoans and giving them a good paying job here in Idaho. Uh, It's a good mix of small and large here. And uh, we've got something good going here.
1: And Representative Nekochea, we had you on the show last year. Actually, you and I did an interview about uh, House Bill 389. A year later, how do you think things have gone?
2: Um, I... Poorly. <laughs> um, there were a couple good things in the bill. Uh, modest increases in property tax assistance for seniors, but then that was paid for by cutting some seniors out of the program. And again, it was, uh, I think, an increase of a maximum amount of assistance by $180. And that's that's just not enough. Uh, the speaker mentioned the increase in the homeowner's exemption from $100,000 to $125,000. That didn't even cover a year of housing price growth, you know, where where I live and in our fast-growing parts of the state. So my constituents still saw their property t- t- taxes um, go up substantially, and and that would have been true even if local budgets did not make adjustments for inflation. Um, and we see, and we're seeing new problems that we anticipated that local government. That would be the case and that we did, and they weren't listened to, uh, you know, small towns that might want to grow and build new housing now face this harsh 8% cap on, on how they can grow their budgets to, uh, provide services. So there's a, there's a small, the small town of Greenleaf was talking to the developer. They wanted to come in and build a whole new bunch of houses, houses we need desperately in this valley, in this valley, um, that would have increased their, uh, their their taxable value by about a third, and and they would have to increase their contract for law enforcement services accordingly about that amount. They had to discontinue talks about this development because they they were gonna face this 8% cap and they wouldn't be able to provide adequate enforcement and emergency response. So we're officially constraining our, our ability to make growth pay for itself, Deliver the housing and and the the homes and the economic um, growth opportunities that our small small towns need. I think this was probably designed the 5% cap to try to punish larger cities, but it's it's hitting small cities, and we we just would have taken that into account. And the the other thing I'll mention is that if we had if the if the Republicans had not in 2016 capped the homeowner's exemption, it used to go up with housing prices. They capped it at what at 100,000. If they had not done that. Today, the, the homeowner's exemption would be worth 175,000. This last bill only let it go up to 125,000. As the speaker mentioned, that's a 25% increase. Meanwhile, that same bill increased, you know, the the property tax exemption for business equipment um, by, I think, more than doubling it. So this is a question of our priorities. The tax shift onto homeowners is 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 a boom for commercial property owners. They're seeing in many places they're paying less and less in property taxes every year. And we just need to get to a stable balance that it's predictable. And we can't keep putting it shifting the load onto homeowners.
5: And
1: Mr. Well, let's Speaker, look at the,
5: let's look at the hard numbers, Logan. Yes. Uh, statewide, the property taxes went down across the state. Uh, You know, and and, well, they only rose by three or four percent last year. So local governments have heard the cry from from the uh, from their constituents. They prudently plugged in some of this federal money into their into their budgets, and they have leveled off the rate of growth. And so that's that's all to the good. I think everybody is operating in good faith here and wants to solve the problem. I don't I don't think that this is about creating. You know, big groups of winners or losers, uh, but it. But what we have is a is a system that we've had for decades that is ill equipped to respond when we have this type of appreciation in home values.
1: And there has been an interim committee that's working on these issues, um, Mr. Speaker. Have you heard from your caucus um, any rumblings of what sort of property tax bills we could expect to see this session?
5: Well, I think that they'll be the usual. I think that uh, you know they'll there will be a push, and I and I imagine it will be at least somewhat successful to raise the homeowner's exemption. Uh, keep in mind when you have that index, we took it off the index when the home, during the Great Recession when everything was going down, and that drove the homeowner's uh, exemption down as well. And then we put it on, and then we've been raising it as. Uh, you know, as needed, I guess, and I think it's needed. I mean, the the point that Representative Nekicham made about you know 125 against 175. I mean, that's not lost on anyone. We all own homes, and none of us like to, to pay property taxes. So I think that that's an idea that is kicked around.
1: Unfortunately, we can't talk about this for qu- first week of the legislature without talking about COVID. Um, there have been multiple lawmakers who have tested positive. Um, and we had a couple of guests for the show this week that were lined up that had to cancel on us because they are feeling under the weather. Um, Representative Nekochea, I want to start with you. Do you have concerns about the possibility of a larger outbreak at the Capitol this session?
2: Um, I am concerned about safety around this building. Um, I can't, can't recommend anyone coming to down here, certainly right now, and that's why it's so important that we have remote testimony available. We put public dollars into providing this technology and getting it set up last year. So there's no reason for any committee uh, to not be allowing um, Idahoans to participate, not only so that they can stay healthy, but people from Coeur d'Alene and Pocatello and all across the state should have the ability to participate in the civic process. And they can't always take off work and drive down to Boise to do that. Uh, So I I hope that our committee chairs will will make that change.
5: Uh, The direction from the Speaker of the House to the committee chairs is to accommodate people from out of the building as best they can. And this, this idea that we are not allowing remote testimony, I don't know where that came from. I have a good idea, but it is not accurate. We will we have, as the good representative said, we have all of this technology, we've invested in it and we're going to use it. And we've got our chairs, vice chairs and the committee members trained so that they can they, they can do that. So let's let's put that one to bed. With this statement, we will be allowing remote testimony.
1: What are the chances of this session uh, seeing a multi-week recess in the middle of the session, like we did last year?
5: Well, you're asking me to speculate, uh, and I and I won't do that. Having said that, uh, if we, you know, I and I can't predict the future. Obviously, Idahoans have been able to power through the pandemic as evidenced by our economic activity. Uh, that's not that they that they disregarded their situation around them, but they made accommodations to get through. And I believe that that's what Idahoans expect their legislature to do. And we're not going to take, um, you know, a lot a lot of uh, risks here. But I'm charging everyone with their own safety to take uh, precautions for themselves. And uh, you know, this new variant seems to be very contagious. And and you know, and I know people that have taken every precaution by the old definition of the word "every," every precaution, and yet they're they're catching it, and uh, thank heavens it's it's not as serious.
1: All right, we are unfortunately going to have to leave it there. Assistant Minority Leader Lauren Necochea, House Speaker Scott Bedke, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank, thank you, Lauren. See ya. We have more of my conversation with representatives Nekechea and Bedke online on our YouTube channel. You'll find the link at youtube.com slash Idaho reports. Thanks so much for watching, and we'll see you next week.